when I was doing some research on this next podcast, which is on curiosity and creativity, I came across a bunch of studies that were published in 2007. They were about how preschoolers use questions to figure out the world around them. Some of the observations were pretty funny, like children can ask more than 100 questions an hour, which is probably not surprising for a lot of our listeners. But when children grow up, that natural curiosity and creativity changes or even disappears for a while when they hit 10 or 15. And why does that matter? I'm Clara Young and I work in the OECD's Education and Skills Directorate. Today, I talked to Rowena Fair, who is a senior analyst at the OECD in Education and Skills, and Mitch Resnick, who is Professor of Learning Research at the MIT Media Lab. Thank you both for coming on this podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Carl. Okay. So before we get to the question about why curiosity and creativity are important, however old we are, let's get to the definitions first so we're sure we're talking about exactly the same thing. So how would you define curiosity, either one of you? Well, I will, I will start uh, with the early years. It's And, you know, you're quite right, Clara, that we're born curious. It's one of the very few, if not the only, competency that we start life complete. We have an abundance of curiosity from the absolute, you know, earliest moment. And you know, I think we're all familiar with babies who want to see, touch, taste, swallow, open, move, everything around them. And so in the early years, we define curiosity as children being interested, wanting to know more, wanting to move move things about, to see, to touch, to taste, to feel, to experience. As I see it, curiosity is a type of attitude or disposition where you're always willing to explore and experiment and express yourself in new ways. And I think that's true for people of all ages. Now, we might experiment and explore in different ways at different ages, but it's always about that interest in exploring, experimenting, and expressing oneself. And what's the difference between that and creativity, that whole exploration? I mean, it's quite linked, isn't it? Yes. I mean, for me, creativity is especially linked to the root of creativity is create. So it's more on the side of expressing yourself and creating things that are meaningful to you and to others around you. So when we do something creative, it's coming up with something that, that we care about or people around us care about. And then back to curiosity, there's isn't it also a disposition of how you deal with what is unknown or when there's something that you don't understand, when there's something uncertain or ambiguous? That, that's right. Curi being curious is about trying to find out what you don't know, what you don't know about, about things, about concepts, about anything really. And, you know, I agree with Mitch. I, I see curiosity as a, a root, if you like, of creativity. In order to be creative, you need to be curious about what if I did this? How, how about trying that? Having ideas, being interested to create something different. New. But I think we can be curious all of the time. When you said it's about an unknown situation, in every situation, there's always unknown things. So I think a truly curious individual is always exploring and trying to learn more and experiment more. So even if it seems that all is known, they'll be wanting to, well, what if this happened? What if that happens? Now, Rowena, you head the OECD's International Early Learning and Child Wellbeing Study. 
What have been the findings on five-year-olds? So there were those six key areas that we looked at in social-emotional skills. And interestingly, what we found was when we looked at the relationship between social-emotional skills and children's early cognitive development, the strongest relationship by far was between curiosity and children's language skills, their numeracy skills, and their self-regulation skills. Perhaps it's not surprising, but it was very clear, and it was much stronger, say, the weakest that we found was with non-disruptive behaviour. So it's much more important, it seems, to be curious in order to learn and to have uh, strong social connections with other children, because all of these skills are interrelated, they're mutually reinforcing. But being, say, um, badly behaved for a short time, when you're five, maybe when you're 15 or 25, it's not going to work so well. But age five, actually being disruptive is not so problematic in terms of your development. And looking at children's levels of curiosity, we found a significant difference between curiosity levels of children from advantaged families, so those are families with whose parents have high levels of education, work in professional occupations, have high high levels of family income. We found that children from those backgrounds were reported by their teachers to have much higher levels of curiosity than children from disadvantaged households. And when we think about the link, the correlation between children's levels of curiosity and children's levels of cognitive development at age five, that should be a real concern to us because already at age five, these children are not getting a level playing field. They're not getting the same, clearly the same opportunities as other children and we need to think seriously about what can be done, what can we do either in early childhood education and care or in support to parents, parenting programs or indeed in early schooling because it's not too late. (laughs) You can lift these skills considerably but how we can support children to... And of course young children love being curious. It's an attribute that we all enjoy when you're interested in something, when you want to know about something, you want to do something. That's fun. And we want children, we want teenagers, we want adults actually to be curious for their own enjoyment, but also for the wider benefits that I'm sure we'll talk about. So about that link between children and teenagers who come from better off backgrounds, who are more creative and curious and than those who come from backgrounds that are not so advantaged. Mitch, have you come across that? Because I know that you started the Computer Clubhouse Project, and that's aimed at, I think it's an older group, age group, teenagers from lower income backgrounds. So the Clubhouse is an international network of after-school learning centers that I helped start with my longtime colleague and collaborator, Natalie Rusk. And at these after-school centers, young people, typically age 10 to 18, can come and learn to express themselves creatively with new technologies. And it is aimed specifically at young people from communities that haven't had these types of opportunities in the past. And we think it's especially important for all young people to have those types of opportunities at all ages, to be able to explore, experiment, and express themselves. I mean, as Rowena was saying before, we think it's so important to give people the opportunity to test the boundaries, to try new things, to take risks. We sometimes call it a playful attitude. We see play not just as an activity, but as an attitude, a way of engaging with the world. It's very related to curiosity, where you're always willing to 
experiment, try new things. And then when things don't go well, have the space to be able to make corrections and try new things and adapt and revise based on what it is that's happened. So with the clubhouses, we tried to create an environment where young people who often didn't have those opportunities are provided with the supportive environment where they can work together with peers and adult mentors to explore, experiment, and express themselves. But this is something that I think is important for children from all backgrounds and all ages to have these types of experiences. Now, there are some studies and the OECD survey on social and emotional skills that came out quite recently that was done with 10 and 15-year-olds. These studies have shown that there is a dip in curiosity and creativity when kids get older and when they hit 10, 15. Have you come across that, Mitch, in your work? As I see it, it's not a developmental stage issue. It's about the type of environment that we provide. If we just think of traditional schooling, oftentimes in kindergarten, in traditional kindergarten, children have lots of opportunity to explore and experiment, whether it's building towers with wooden blocks or making pictures with finger paints and crayons. In the process, they learn a lot. They learn how colors mix together when they use finger paint. But they also learn about engaging in the creative process, how to come up with an idea, create experiments, share with others, get feedback from other people, make revisions based on their experiences, and then reflect on what happened. As you go on in school, too often, kids are sitting in rows, listening to lectures, filling out worksheets, and they don't have those same types of opportunities. In fact, I call my research group at MIT the lifelong kindergarten group because our goal is to make all of school, in fact, all of life, more like kindergarten so that children of all ages, as they grow up and even adults, will have that opportunity to learn in that kindergarten style where they have those opportunities. One thing that's very worrisome to us is that in many parts of the world, the trend is in the wrong direction. You go to some kindergartens these days and children are being drilled on phonics flashcards and filling out math worksheets. So in some ways, kindergarten is becoming more like the rest of school. What we want is exactly the opposite for the rest of school to be more like kindergarten. So how do you do that? How do you make classrooms that stimulate curiosity and creativity, especially for older students? We've come up with four guiding principles that influence the way we design spaces and activities and tools for people. There's four guiding principles. They all start with the letter P, projects, passion, peers, and play. So we're always trying to develop environments that engage young people in working on projects based on their passions, in collaboration with peers, in a playful spirit. And we find if we put those four elements into place, that provides a fertile environment for young people to be able to design, explore, express themselves, and develop as creative thinkers. There is a question that comes to mind listening to all this is we haven't really discussed why is it important for us to have younger kids and then older students and ourselves to continue to be curious and creative. I mean, maybe it's just something that we have as kids and then it fades away and what does it matter? Well, I I would argue that it's more important than ever in terms of the world that we're living in, the, the types of challenges, societal, economic, environmental challenges that we have. We need people to be as creative as possible and to be really aware of 
what's going on. You know, we need people to be very conscious of the world that we're living in. But if I can go back to in younger age groups, so amongst the study that, that we did on five-year-olds, we did in fact find five-year-olds who were reported not to be curious. And this just should not be the case. You know, we talk about babies being incredibly curious, like absolutely dominated by curiosity, which is we're, we're geared to learn. We need to learn in order to survive. Our instincts are to learn. But you know, as Mitch said, the environment shapes us. So there are home environments and children's interactions with their parents and caregivers. Then they go on to ECC and then they're on to early schooling. And children that aren't curious that don't want to know, that don't want to find out, that don't want to pull something apart or put it together, or are not interested, it's really hard for those children to learn because that curiosity, that desire to learn, that motivation, that natural being drawn towards something isn't there or isn't as strong. And when, when you're young, if you're just starting in, at school and you're really not that interested to know about whatever it is you're doing on animals or painting well the evidence shows that you're not going to do so well and if you don't do so well other things in your life aren't going to do so later but then if we move on to older older age groups curiosity and creativity you know they're linked to things like problem solving which links to your resilience and your ability to operate as part of a group and a family and a community innovation coming up with that idea that no one that you and no one else had thought about and being creative generating ideas and this is more and more important not only in the complex world that we're in but in a modern economy we're asking what are the human skills so you know robotics and technology is changing our lives but the skills that are most important are those human human skills both for the quality of our life for our well-being but also in terms of our our economic um, well-being as well yeah i did agree with rowena that these skills are more important today than ever before people don't agree on many things but i think one thing we can all agree on is that the world is changing more quickly than ever before and that we live in a fast-changing, complex world. And today's children will face a never-ending stream of unknown, uncertain, unpredictable situations. So the ability to think and act creatively will be more important than ever, not just in their work lives, but also in their civic lives and in their personal lives. So we need to support young people in developing those abilities. So we'll certainly make a difference in the workplace. In the workplace, with some of the economic trends and automation and Machines will take over a lot of the mundane routine tasks. So the ability to think creatively, what makes us most human will be more important than ever in the workplace. But it's not just for economic purposes, as Rowena said, that the ability to think and act creatively brings joy and meaning and fulfillment to our lives. So I hope that even if we were living 100 years ago, I hope that I would also have been arguing for the importance of curiosity and creativity because it's what helps make us have a fulfilling life. But I think it's more important today than ever in order to be able to thrive in a complex and fast-changing world. Again, to reinforce what Mitch said, we found children that are curious are happy children. Curious children enjoy. They enjoy everything that they're they're doing and they have strong relationships with other children. So there's no trade-off. Just like for young children, there's no trade-off between play and learning. Play is learning and learning is play when you're five years old if you're a well-adjusted child. I, I have a question about if we want our classrooms and our curriculum to value creativity, like openness and curiosity more, 
how does evaluation, how does an assessment, how does that fit in, especially with creativity? Because there's kind of an observer effect of assessing somebody's creativity. And yet the reality is that with schools, we do need to have assessments, if only to figure out things like funding formulas and all that. So how, how do we deal with both of those things, creativity, curiosity, and assessment? I guess one point I would make is that we do have to recognize that certain things that we value are not very easy to measure quantitatively. And one problem in the world is that we sometimes get drawn to assessing what can be assessed quantitatively, but then we end up focusing on things that aren't the most important things that we value. So I think what's important is to find there are other ways of being able to assess this, not just coming up through numerical value. But when we look at young people's creation, we look at their portfolios and their trajectory of creations over time, and you can see the range of things they create. If a young person is just doing the same type of project over and over, it's pretty easy to see that's not very creative. If there's a diversity of things they're doing, that's a more hopeful sign. So there are ways in which you can look at a trajectory over time and a sort of a collection of things that they've created as a way of doing it. Now, that's the way that I get evaluated in my job as a professor. I don't get given a quantitative measure. When I get promoted, people take a look at my output and they see the ways in which I've done things that other people find interesting around me. And we can do the same things with young people. Yeah, I would ask, what is the purpose of the measurement? What are, what are you trying to inform? And certainly, I think systems need measures to know how well they're serving the children they're intended to serve. So just to give you an example, because one observation is a possibility, I guess. It's a point in a snapshot, a point in time, and it depends on what, what you're measuring and the extent of any bias within that measurement. Indirect reports from parents and teachers can also be helpful. You can also ask children. So in our survey, we asked five-year-old children what they like most about their kindergarten or their school. And we did this quite deliberately. And what the children told us was what they liked most was playing. Four out of ten told us that they like playing with, they like running outside, they like playing with their friends, they like playing with toys or blocks. Or Another group of children said what they like doing most is making and creating. They like building things, they like drawing, they like painting, they like doing things. And they like this more than playing or what they call playing. And then about the same number of children said, what we really like most, what I really like most is learning about things. I love learning about animals. I love learning about um, about words. I love learning about books, or I love learning about shapes. And that's what they really enjoy. And a lot of children liked multiple things, but those were the top things. Play, create, and learn. And all of those activities are interrelated. And if you think about it as adults, we like making things. We like creating things. We like social connections. We need social connections. And all of that works best in an environment that is fun, that is enjoyable, that we are enjoying ourselves. So I really don't think that these things change over the life course but actually using the voices of children and students and asking them how things are for them, I think is a good indicator at a system level. And certainly we use that data to 
hold up a mirror to, to systems and say, yes, make sure children have ample opportunities to play. Make sure children have the resources they need to create and make things. And they want to learn, so don't be afraid of that either. And the other thing we've, we found is that children having choice over their activities is hugely related to children's what children enjoy. When you're five years old, there are a lot of things you don't have choice about. <laughs> you don't get to have a say over many, many things in your life. But they do like children really value being able to choose having free choice over what they're going to do, even in just for part of the day. And many of them said because they have particular projects, like a building project, and they value every minute that they have that they can spend on their create on their construction of this this big house they're making or their painting that they're working on. So this is another piece of information for, at a system level and at a a centre level, if you like, if you like a setting level, to create these environments. But back to assessment, I do think you need to to question: Do we need a measure for each individual child, or do we need to know whether there are things we should worry about, such as the proportion of children who are, have already switched off, who are not enjoying where they are? And we should know about that. And we should be doing something about that. More information about what's going to create the enriching environment where children have choice, where they have they have freedom to be creative, to be social, to play, to you know, and to learn is the information helping us to make those environments and then how do we continue them? Because we do see from at age five then to ten, then to fifteen, children become less and less curious. And it's sad because we don't know for sure, but we suspect that this does not need to happen, that it is the environments, the, you know, as much said, the learning environments that actually aren't very good for learning, you know, the, the OECD. We have enough evidence to show rote learning is counterproductive. It doesn't help people learn and it's, it's boring and it switches you off. Well, I hope that this conversation will contribute to funner and more creative and curious learning environments. Let's hope. Thank you very much, Rowena. And thank you, Mitch, for getting into this subject with me. I'm Clara Young. To find out more about the OECD's work on education and skills, find us on Twitter. Our handle is at OECD EDU skills. <laughs>